Revelation chapter 5. We are finishing the chapter this morning in a little mini-series in Revelation called, Who is Worthy? Who is Worthy? And, and, and we've been going through the book of Revelation very slow, very methodically. Chapter 5, the entire focus of this chapter is based around one question, who is worthy to open the book? There's this seven-sealed book that is in the, the right hand of he that sits on the throne and nobody in heaven and in earth and under the earth was found worthy to open this seven-sealed book. And we studied this in the last few weeks, and, and maybe if you're here today, this morning, I'm just going to give you a running summary, but, but man, th- this book has something to do with God's judgment on the earth. It has something to do with establishing God's kingdom on this earth. It has something to do with ultimately Christ getting all the glory that he deserves, and this seven-sealed book is so significant and important. And we, we went through and said, man, what could this seven-sealed book actually be? Is it the book of the Revelation? Is it the book of the Bible? Is it the fulfillment of the prophecies of Daniel concerning the end times? And I, I personally believe that's, that's what it is. But the reality is no one was worthy to open that book. And then there was a lamb that stood. He is... The, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he is the root of David, and he was able to stand and to take that seven-sealed book. And man, what happens in Revelation 5 is that when he takes that book, there's an amazing worship service that begins in heaven. And, and it's so powerful that we need to understand that that is something that, that truthfully has probably not happened since the fall of Lucifer. And, And that's a lot to talk about right off the beginning because your coffee hadn't even kicked in yet. But man, can you understand from the Bible that Lucifer was was God's worship leader? He He was created to reflect God's glory throughout the entire universe. He was created with musical instruments to lead the sons of God in the worship of God. And because of his fall between Genesis 1, 1 and Genesis 1 and verse 2, it's quite possible that no musical instruments and no worship has been happening in heaven until this point. And man, that's a powerful thing. And, and, and we get to partake in that, like on this earth, we get to, to play music and we get to express vocally what God has done and how worthy he is. But can I tell you, at this point in the Bible, there's an amazing worship service in heaven and there's 100% participation. Because he's worthy. And so, man, we, we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Let's pick it up in verse 8 and just get a run and start in the verses. And, and then I'll pray for us and we'll get in the book this morning. But, but Revelation 5 and verse 8 says, When he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. They, excuse me, they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. And thousands of thousands sang with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature, not some creature, every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth 
And such that are, is, are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sit upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Let's pray together. Father, we need you this morning. God, I pray as we get into your book, Father, that your book gets into us. God, open our eyes, open our heart to hear your word. Lord, as we talk about the one worthy of worship, Lord, help us to make sure that we examine ourselves whether or not we truly are a worshiper of you. Not just a church attender, not just a Christian, but a worshiper of you. Lord, help us to give you everything that you're worthy of based on what we hear today. We give you the glory for that, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So, so as this worship service begins in Genesis chapter 5, there's, there's several groups of participants, if you will. What we talked about last week was the praise and worship of the 24 elders. And, and man, we began to just look at that and talk about, you know, there was an, a, a specific position associated with praise and worship. Those 24 elders actually fell down before the Lamb. And over and over in the Bible, the real position of worship is bowed before the throne at the feet of Jesus. That is the true biblical position of praise and worship. And listen, I know we talk about lifting hands and expressing our voices and shouting and dancing and all those different things, but, but the biblical position of worship is a position of humility and surrender and yielding. It is biblical to fall down at Jesus' feet. It is biblical to position ourselves at Jesus' feet. Christ never refused biblical worship. Old Testament, New Testament, anyone that rightly positioned themselves before him. Man, listen, he always accepted that. He always accepted that. And, and, And what we said last week was, if we're not careful, the thing that will prevent us from having the right position of worship is a stiff neck. You guys remember that? We, we talked about in the Bible how every time we study worship, man, somebody's bowing their head to the earth. And your head is connected to this thing called your neck. And it has all the movement and motion that puts your head in the right position in space. And listen, with a stiff neck, which means an unyielded mind and body and spirit, with a stiff neck, you and I will never assume a right position of worship talked about that last week, and and so there is a right position. And and then last week, we talked about the playing that's associated with praise and worship, and and man, every one of these elders had harps, and and we just made the point that God cares a lot about music. It's actually important. It's biblical, so much so that that some believers are going to be a little disappointed because there's musical instruments in heaven. Kind of messes up some people's theology right there. But man, there's musical instruments in heaven, and, and these harps are, are key, and, and again, I don't want to re-preach last week's sermon. I kind of do, but I don't want to. But, but man, when you study harps throughout the Bible, there's an amazing connection with kings, and there's an amazing connection with driving out evil spirits. Think of David and Saul. Man, God is pleased. God is pleased with skillful music. It, it brings glory to him. And then, and then last week, we talked about there's also prayer associated with praise and worship. And, and as we get into this scene, these 24 elders have golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And, and listen, those prayers are like incense before God. 
man, it pleases him, it, it moves him, it, it, it impacts him. It's, it's a sweet savor to our God when we go to the Lord in prayer and listen. And many times as Christians, we miss, we miss how we can worship God through prayer. We miss how we can have a right relationship with God through prayer. And listen, that is one of the things, it's one of the key senses that God the Father has. Man, that he smells this incense. And, and, and again, man, we kind of gave the challenge last week. Would your prayer life even be enough to fill a vial? Based on Wednesday night attendance, no offense, not so much. And we pray, we pray corporately on Wednesday nights. Why do we do that? Just so that we can check a box. No, we, we pray corporately because God is pleased with it. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a prayer that, that pleases God. It's offered to God as sweet-smelling incense. And, and man, listen, we ought to take advantage of that. Well, I pray during the week and I pray at home. Okay, man, but you need to pray corporately with your brothers and sisters. Because it's biblical. It's biblical. And then we saw, I know, I know, I know I'm... I know I'm re-preaching last week's sermon, but I don't think God's done with it yet, so you can, bear, you can bear with it. And then we saw the proclamation of praise and worship because, man, these, these 24 elders sang a new song. Jokingly, I said last week, you know they weren't Baptists, right? Because we don't like anything new, so they had to be something else. But, but they sung a new song, and that song was directed to Christ's worthiness, and it was directed about their gratitude for what God had done in their life. They were thankful for their redemption through his shed blood. And so listen, if you're saved, you have something to say. You have something to offer by way of song to God because he has saved you from your sin. Well, you know, I, don't, I can't keep a tune. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. It doesn't matter. I can't stay on key. It doesn't matter. God knows all of them, you know. Colin was up here messing around before church and, and playing I don't know what he was playing. I don't think he was playing. He was just hitting some notes that really didn't go together. But guess what? God knows all of them. God knows absolutely all of them. And, and our, our ability or lack of ability is no excuse to not give God the glory that he deserves. And, and man, when we know what we've been redeemed from, you got something to sing about. You got something to sing about. You have something to be thankful for. God has been good to us. He's redeemed us through his blood. He's blessed us with the opportunity to walk with him and to serve him. And Man, we talked a lot about those 24 elders. I got a couple of pages of notes here. It is interesting. Well, we don't have time. Maybe we have time. Listen, these 24 elders, man, God said that not only did he redeem them, but he made them kings and priests. And they're going to reign with Christ. And now listen, devotionally, and this isn't in your notes, so just, just kind of bear with me. You can take your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Devotionally, we have the potential to reign with Christ in his millennial kingdom. But can I just tell you, that's not a guarantee for everyone. That's not a guarantee for everyone. Devotionally, God has absolutely given us the opportunity to reign with Christ. 2 Timothy 2, verse 11 and 12 say, It's a faithful saying, if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. And if you're dead in your sin and alive in Christ, well, listen, you have eternal life. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. And the context of 2 Timothy 2 is the opportunity to reign with Christ. And God says that's connected to suffering as Christ suffered. 
And so there's a great privilege, there's a great opportunity available for Christians to have the opportunity to reign with Christ, but only if you suffer as a believer in Christ. And if you live godly in Christ Jesus, you are going to suffer persecution. We've got a lot of Christians today, man, that are saved, but not suffering. The reason they're not suffering is because they don't live godly in Christ Jesus. And because they don't live godly in Christ Jesus, when God establishes his, his throne on this earth and his millennial kingdom, friends, listen, there will be some believers that will not have the opportunity to rule and reign with Christ. You will lose the privilege and reward at the judgment seat of Christ. I'm not saying you'll lose your salvation because that's secure in him. Man, God made you for a bigger purpose than just salvation. He made you devotionally kings and priests. And and listen, God gives us that privilege to reign. He gives us the opportunity. We are spiritual priests in the sense that we can offer spiritual sacrifices to God, such as prayer and praise. Romans 12 says we're to offer our life as a living sacrifice. 1 Peter 2 and verse 5 says we're built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. God made you something that you weren't. That's, that's something to sing about. You can go to God at any time. You can offer God your life as a living sacrifice. You can offer Him prayer and praise that are spiritual sacrifices, and you can do it any time. And you can even do it on Wednesday night and Sunday morning. Now, doctrinally, who are these 24 elders? And we've, we've made, you know, comment of that. There is one group of people in the Bible, man, that God used for kings and priests. It's the nation of Israel. There's just one nation through which God established a Levitical priesthood, and there's one nation through which God established a king and a kingdom through which the world was ruled. Levitical priesthood through the nation of Israel, the lineage of kings through King David, right? And so again, man... uh, I wish we take me to coffee and we'll have some more fun conversations about these 24 elders and, and who we are. A lot of people say that those 24 elders uh, typify or, or, or uh, represent every believer. And, and there is a devotional application of that because the verse tells us that those 24 elders are made up of the redeemed. It says, out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. But it doesn't say from every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. Does that make sense? And, and so, listen, there, there are more than 24 kindreds on the earth. There's more than 24 tongues. There's more than 24 people groups, and there's more than 24 nations. And so this 24 elders, man, again, devotionally, I think they can point to the believers in Christ, but there's a strong tribulation context of this group of people. And it does say that they were redeemed out of, in other words, possibly from among the nations and the kindreds and the people and the tongues. And, and so, again, uh, I won't make a definitive stance on that because I'm not 100%. But here's what I know. Those 24 elders knew how to praise and worship God. They had the right position. They had the right praise. They had the prayer life right. And they proclaimed the worthiness of God. So now let's get into the message because there's another group of people that God introduces us to in Revelation chapter 5. And what we see secondly is the praise and worship of the angels. And I want you to go back to verse 11. 
It says, and I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. That's a lot, by the way. We'll talk about the numbers in just a second. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain, and, and he's going to receive some things. And so number one in your notes, let's, let's talk about the nature of angels. And, and truthfully, we could spend all morning on this point, but, but man, angels in the Bible are significant. Now here's what the angels aren't singing about. They're not singing about being redeemed by the blood. That's something reserved for, for a group of people that aren't angels. You and I can sing that. But angels can't. They're not redeemed. They're not saved by the blood of the Lamb. And yet, angels have a very special place in God's creation. They have a very special role in God's eternal plan. So let's talk about it. Number one, or point A in your notes maybe, uh, angels are mesmerized with man's redemption. They are very interested, even though they themselves can't be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, they are keenly interested in what God has done through the plan of salvation in the person of Christ. Look at 1 Peter 1 and verse 12. He says, Unto whom it was revealed that not only to themselves, but, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Which things? What, what, what things? The preaching of the gospel with the Holy Ghost. Which things? The angels desire to look into. Man, there's a keen interest of these heavenly hosts that are very interested in man's redemption through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at Luke 15 and verse 10. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And man, can I just tell you, listen, the day you got saved, the day you heard the gospel and accepted Christ by faith. Not only was there celebration in your life, and hopefully the people that knew you, but man, in, in the presence of the angels, joy. They're mesmerized with what God is doing through the redemptive plan of humanity. And because of that, they have a right praise and worship of God. Number two, these angels are ministering spirits. The Bible tells us that the angels are ministering Spirits, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And so today you're going to walk out with a lot of doctrine concerning angels, and we'll make the application in, a, in just a minute. Look at verse 13. But to which of the angels saith he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? And, and by the way, he didn't say that to any angel. He said it to Christ, right, the Son of God. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be the heirs of salvation. And listen, if you know anything about the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews teaches us that Christ is better. He's better than the law. He's better than the angels. He's a better sacrifice. He's a better priest. And so listen, make sure you just understand the context of Hebrews 1. It says that angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who shall be the heirs of salvation. Now, now listen, Clearly, you did not inherit salvation, okay? You didn't receive salvation through an inheritance. Well, my mom and dad are saved, and so now I've received salvation through an inheritance. That doesn't, that's not how it works. 
well, my dad's the pastor or preacher. Well, listen, none of that matters. I'm thankful for that, but none of that matters concerning your salvation. You didn't inherit salvation. You received salvation as a free gift by God's grace through faith. And so the doctrinal context of this passage in Hebrews, please understand, don't read yourself into someone else's email. And these, these angels that are ministering spirits, they're ministering to someone who's going to inherit salvation. And again, tribulation and millennial context. So you go back to Psalm 103, and I, I just need to clarify that because, man, you, you can all, if you're not careful, you will read yourself into passages that aren't, because all of a sudden you would say, well, I've, I've inherited salvation, so angels are my minister. Uh, maybe, but maybe not. That's not, what the, that's not what the passage says. Look at Psalm 103, verse 19 to 22. It says, the Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Again, millennial context. Bless the Lord, ye his, his angels. And that's interesting. It's, it's connected with Christ's throne. It's, it's connected with his kingdom ruling. And all of a sudden, you see these ministering spirits again in the passage that excel in strength, that do his commandments, that hearken to the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye, host, all ye host, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in, in his places of dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And again, man, in that millennial context, what shows up to minister? Angels. Psalm 104 and verse 4, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers of flaming fire. And so, man, these these angels are, are very special in God's economy. They're mesmerized with man's salvation. They're ministering spirits. Number three, angels aren't married. And Matthew 22 and verse 30, Christ teaching about the resurrection. And he says, in the resurrection, and of course the context was, hey, this guy's got, you know, he was married, uh, this lady was married, and her husband died, and then she has like seven husbands. And, and in the resurrection, whose wife is she? You know, that's, that's kind of the, the, the Pharisee's attempt to stump Christ. That's the conversation. Matthew 22, he says in verse 30, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God, where? In heaven. And, and so listen, you know, some of you right now, uh, you know, you're married and, and you probably have ha- asked the question, man, am I going to be married in heaven? And I'm going to, what's that relationship going to be like? Well, it's going to be different than what it is right now, according to the word of God. Right? You're going to be as the angels of God in heaven. You're not going to be married or given in marriage. And some of you may don't say it out loud. Be like, boy, I can't wait. I got married down here. And I can't wait to be like an angel. <laughs> Cody Head's available for counseling this week, marriage, marriage counseling. We'll flash his phone number up on the screen this week. I mean, some of you are saying amen right there. I mean, you got married and you can't wait to be like the angels. I was just seeing if y'all was awake. Okay, so... But man, these angels, they, they have a different purpose and focus, right, in, in God's economy. Number, number four, angels aren't mindful of Christ's second coming. And, and again, I'm just trying to give you some information about who these people are. Mark chapter 13, when you read the passage in Mark 13, the context is, is the second coming of Christ at the end of the tribulation. Verse 24, in those days after that tribulation, and it talks about all the things that are going to happen you know, the sun and the moon be darkened. Verse 26, when they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power. So the context is the second coming of Christ 
Then he tells a parable about this fig tree. You need to know what that fig tree is. If you're a student of the Bible, that's national Israel. And so this fig tree puts forth her branch and puts forth her leaves. And God says, hey, listen, you need to pay attention to that fig tree. The whole context of this is the second coming of Christ. But look what he says in verse 32. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels, which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. And and there's much we could talk about in this passage. Just know that at least at that point in history, in Mark chapter 13, the angels did not know that day or hour of Christ's return. And, And for the record, a lot of things have happened since Mark chapter 13. Also for the record, God's Word doesn't say, it might say that you can't know the day or the hour, but it doesn't say you can't know the month or year. I mean, did I read it right? And and listen, during Christ's earthly ministry, there was still a dealing with that fig tree, with God's people, even through the book of Acts. But as we see that that Israel has rejected their Messiah, man, I think God concreted some things down where, again, Mark chapter 13 had a a place and a time. Is that still applicable today? Well, Well, the reality is you need to be a good student of God's word. But they didn't know. Man, the angels didn't know. And then then lastly, listen, some angels are facing the misfortune of judgment. Man, there's a group of angels that didn't stay in heaven. They didn't stay in their first estate. They didn't do what God intended for them to do. And those angels, the Bible says in Jude in verse 6, those angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation hath he reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. And so there's a group of angels that rebelled against God that, man, you go back to Genesis chapter 6 and and some other things, and man, you start piecing together what these angels that left their estate did. God says, man, you're going to get judged for that. And and 1 Corinthians chapter 6 even tells us that we as believers in Christ will have something to do with that judgment. Look at 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 3. It says, know ye not that we shall judge angels. Now, who are we to judge angels? Well, number one, we're nobody. But who we are is redeemed. We're sons of God, and the angels are not, in the sense that they've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so, and so God says in Revelation chapter 5 that, man, surrounding the throne is this, this a mass of angels. And again, just to give you some reference on who angels are in the Bible, Second point in your notes is this, the number of those angels, because John said he heard the voice of many angels round about the throne. And, and the question is always, how many angels were there? Like, how many? And, and again, man, uh, listen, some people go as far as to say, well, you know, the Bible, the, in the Bible, people couldn't count like we can count today, and so they use these terms that aren't actually accurate Right? So when they say things like thousands of thousands, what that really just means is a lot. And, and I've always struggled with, with that. I'm a, I'm a numbers guy. I loved math in school. I loved calculations and figuring things out. And, and I like just math in general. And so that stuff was very fascinating to me. And, and I've always struggled with the fact that, well, if you just add one more, to whatever number you have, 
How can you not count that? Does that, does that make sense? Is anybody else with me? Okay, all you non-math people, you can go take a nap right now. It's okay. We'll get you on the next point. Listen. And so you just do the math. 10,000 times 10,000 equals 100 million. That's simple math, by the way. Some of you are like, that's not simple. <laughs> that's not simple. And so, and so he says, listen, there, there, there's 10,000 times 10,000 angels. And then there's this word, and. And and is a conjunction. So he's not done counting the angels. So, so there's 100 million and there's thousands of thousands. And, and listen, not to be weird, but if you just do 1,000 times 1,000, that's 1 million. And, and, and if you do that multiple times, that's multiple more millions. How many more millions? Well, it doesn't say because it just says thousands of thousands. And, and I, get, I get a laugh out of the skeptics who say, man, the Bible's archaic. They could only count to a thousand in Bible times. That stuff just makes me sick, by the way. Who's the, who's the one guy in history that said, a thousand and one? <laughs> uh, did they shoot him? I mean, what did they do to him? I mean, he just dared to add one to a thousand, you know. Uh, I'd be that idiot, right? Like, could you put one more on it? <gasps> okay. Man, even in the Bible, you have reference, you have reference to, the, to, to millions in the Bible. Genesis chapter 24 and verse 60. It's talking about Rebekah. And, it, and it's a prophecy concerning her seed. It says, Thou art our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions. And, and I don't be weird math geek right now, but listen, 1,000 times a million, billion. And it says thousands of millions. And so the point is, eh, God knows how to count. And there's a lot of these angels, man. Hebrews 12 and verse 22, and again, we don't have an exact number, but we have some math that gets us in the direction. Hebrews 12 and verse 22 says, But you're coming to Mount Zion, Zion unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. And so listen, in the throne, before the throne, man, there is a party going on. Like it is vast, the number of these angels. And then, and then thirdly, listen, these angels had something to say. The narration of the angels, and, and check this out in the verse. Here's what they said, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And if you're counting, man, that's seven things. That's seven things that the Lamb is worthy to receive. And, and the number seven is God's perfect number. It's the number of completion. It's the number of maturity. And, and listen, even though these angels aren't redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, they know what Christ is worthy to receive, which, which is going to help us understand what he's worthy to receive. You guys tracking with that? You okay with that? And, and can I just tell you, like, like in my relationship with God, and I'm sure it's like this in your relationship with God, many times we as believers in Christ, we focus on what we can get from God what we can receive from God, what we have from the Lord, and yet, man, in this verse, Christ is actually the one that is worthy to receive some things. And as you go through these things, man, listen, there's a lot, again, man, 
we could talk about, but can I just tell you that these are things that Christ himself is worthy to receive. And I would say, devotionally, these are things that he can receive from us. You can worship him by giving him these things. Number one, very quickly, Christ is worthy to receive power. Now listen, Christ has all power. He's God. He is God in the flesh, and and listen, without a doubt, but I want you to understand that at the moment of salvation, when you and I When you and I got saved, when we received the gospel, God actually gave us power in the person of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. And and listen, God gave us power through the person of the Holy Spirit when we got saved. He deserves it back. He's worthy to receive the power that he's given us. And, and so I just, again, devotionally, I want you to understand Christ is worthy to receive power as we yield, as we yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that when you walk in the Spirit of God, what you're doing is yielding to the power that God has put in your life, giving your life as a sacrifice back to him? Does he have all power in your life? Don't answer out loud. Should he have all power in your life? And listen, in whatever area you and I choose not to yield and submit to him in, well, that's an area where he doesn't have power. Whether that's in your, in your finances, if it's in your marriage, if it's in your obedience, if it's in your surrender, if it's in your ministry, whatever area that you and I choose not to yield, we're not letting him receive power in our life. Man, these angels knew that he was worthy to receive power. Number two, Christ is worthy to receive riches. And here you go, man. I know already that, that, oh, he's going to talk about money. Well, listen, you know that God blesses us, right? We, we talk about it at this church. God gives us the power to, to, to gain wealth. God gives us bodies that can go and labor on our job. First Chronicles 29 and verse 12 says, both riches and honor come of thee. God gives us that ability. But can I just tell you that Christ is worthy to receive riches when we give back to him. I noticed there wasn't a lot of amens right there, and that's okay. But, but, but as Christians, I think we struggle with that because we are readily able and willing to receive from God the riches, right? Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 19, Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath gotten him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and rejoice in labor. This is the gift of God. And we would say, amen right there. Let me go home and thank God for all my stuff. But listen, Christ is the one worthy to receive the riches as we give it back to him. So that's our tithes. That's our offerings. That's our time. It's the riches that he's blessed us with in this life. And, and the reality is that most Christians don't think Christ is worthy enough to receive that. How do you know? Because they don't give. And by the way, you don't give to this church. You don't give to this pastor. You don't, you don't give to our staff. 
when you give, just like when I give, I give to Christ. And listen, he's worthy. And he, is, he is worthy to receive everything that I have. He's worthy to receive riches. But only if you ascribe that worth to him. And many Christians don't. Number three, Christ is worthy to receive wisdom. And again, that's something that we receive from God. God God gives us wisdom through His Holy Spirit. God gives us wisdom through His Word. He gives us wisdom so that we can have a right relationship with Him. But can I also tell you that you can give your life back as a life walking and working in wisdom. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So wisdom has something to do with our walk. And listen, wisdom has something to do with our words. Colossians 1.28, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. You see, when you preach and you warn and you teach, you're using words. You're using words. And so Christ is worthy to receive wisdom through our walk and through our words. That's how Christ receives wisdom. It's an offering to him because he is worth. Listen, he already has all these things for sure. He's God. But we're talking about worshiping him. So when I have a life that walks and words that are, that are full of wisdom, God's words, and we use those words to preach and to teach and to warn every man. And it's an offering back to Christ because he's worthy. And by the way, we'll use our walk and our words for everything else under the sun except for what God wants us to do. You'll use your walk and your words for your job, your hobby, your sports, your, your, all the things that you love. It is interesting to me, man, as Christians, when, when we will talk about anything and everything under the sun until the Bible opens. And then all of a sudden, man, we got nothing to say. We have nothing to say concerning God and His Word and the Gospel and the ministry that He's called. That is walking in foolishness. Christ isn't receiving wisdom out of our life. He isn't receiving a, a sacrifice of wisdom. Again, devotionally, man, our walk and our words ought to be tied to wisdom and it ought to honor Christ. Number four, Christ is worthy to receive strength. And again, man, these are all things that, that we receive from Christ. Listen, it is God himself that gives us strength. Psalm 18 and verse 1, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. And many of us know what we're, we're reading here. We understand that Christ is our strength. Psalm 27 and verse 1, the Lord is the strength of my life. I don't want to try to walk through this life without, without him. And we all understand that. But can I just tell you that God says that we're to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. We're to give it back to him. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 27, man, this certain lawyer tempting Christ, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And, and, and so Christ deals with him, what's written in the law, and he says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, thy neighbor as thyself. Colossians 3 and verse 23 says, whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord. Man, what would happen if you 
positions yourself to give all of your strength back to Christ. What would happen in this church if you gave all of your strength to serve Christ? So here's the key. Christ is worthy to receive strength in service to him. See, he receives strength when we're willing to lay down our life as a servant back to him. Lord, I don't have much, but I have you, and that's enough, and I'm going to give my life back to you to serve you. Lord, you're worthy to receive strength. Number five, Christ is worthy to receive honor. That word honor, man, listen, that word honor literally means value, worth. It's the price of something, or it's the sum of a thing. And, And we see an interesting usage of that word in Ephesians chapter 6, and, and no offense, kids, I knew you were going to be in the room this morning, but let me just give it to you anyways. This is the rabbit trail for the teens. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Okay, I got parents saying amen right there. It would help to have the teens saying amen right there. You can say, oh, me too. That's fine. Amen, oh, me. It's, 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 all, it's all the same. Okay, so obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Verse 2, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live us long on the earth. And, and man, the passage teach, uh, teaches us that we're to honor our parents. We're to honor our father and mother. We're, we're to ascribe the right value and the right worth and the right price to them in the Lord. So, so it, honor is something you give And honor is something they can receive. And can I just tell you, listen, Christ is the same way because he's the perfect heavenly father. You say, wait a second, he's the son. Well, go back to Isaiah and you'll figure it out, right? He is the everlasting father. And he's worthy to receive honor from us. Proverbs Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10, man, honor the Lord with thy substance, and again, man, I'm not on a giving kick this morning, but, but it, your wallet proves a lot of things. Honor the Lord with all thy substance, or with thy substance, and with the first fruits of thine, all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. And so here's the key Christ is worthy to receive honor as you value him. And man, that's, the, that's, really, the, that's really the key. You will only give to Christ what you think he's worth. And for some Christians, that's just not too much. No offense, it's not even 10%. Give me a break. You will only give to Christ what you think he's worth. Number six, Christ is worthy to receive glory. And that word glory, again, man, I know we're running out of time, but can I tell you that word glory means majesty, it means exaltation, it means to make glorious, to hold in honor, to clothe with splendor. It has a magnifying uh, effect to it, and here's the key, look, Christ is worthy to receive glory as you magnify him. He is worth making a big deal about, man, he's worth it. You just won't magnify him enough. He's worthy to receive all the glory, all the exaltation. He's he's worthy to be held in the highest honor and to have the most splendor of anything in all of creation. Man, when you magnify him, you give him glory. 
And then lastly, listen, man, Christ is worthy to receive blessing. He's worthy to receive blessing. And again, man, listen, I'm guilty, you're guilty. Man, the, the word bless means to adorn or to, or to praise or to celebrate. And, and listen, as Christians, we are very concerned with God's blessing on our life. Amen? We are. I mean, uh, you know, I pray, you pray, and, and we all pray for the Lord to bless us, man. Bless our job, bless our home, bless our family. Uh, we pray the prayer of Jabez, man, without even praying it and knowing it. First Chronicles 4, verse 10, Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that thy hand might be with me, and that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it might not grieve me. And I'm not saying that that's a bad prayer, because by the way, God answered it. But here's what I am saying. Man, many times, just like every other thing that we've talked about, we are real quick to receive these things from God. And man, we're real slow, if ever, to give them back to God. And, and God is worthy to receive blessing as an act of worship. As, as a matter of fact, David commanded Israel, 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 20, David said to all the congregation, now bless the Lord your God. And all the congregation blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed their, their heads, there it is again, and worshiped the Lord and the king. David said, listen, we've received quite a bit of blessing. I think the real king needs a bless." needs a blessing. We need to bless the Lord. Psalm 34 and verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Nehemiah 8 verses 5 and 6, man, Nehemiah opened the book, the word of God in the sight of the people, for he was above the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. We used to do that in church, by the way, back in the day. We would actually stand up when we read the Bible. You guys remember that? Some of you old schoolers, you know what I'm talking about? to do that. Verse 6 says, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and the people answered, amen, amen. And so listen, here's the key. Christ is worthy to receive blessings as you celebrate him. He's the one worthy to receive the blessing. And as you celebrate him, as you adore him, as you praise him and salute him, and you're offering blessing back to him got another hour in you? Okay. What's interesting is, is, man, we see praise and worship through the lens of those 24 elders. We see praise and worship through the angels. And then lastly, and this isn't in your notes, but verse 13, we see praise and worship through every creature. I mean, this is, this is 100% participation. Verse 13, every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the sea and such that are in the sea and all that are in them. Heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Verse 14, and the four beasts said, amen. And that word amen, it means so be it, let it be. It means true. It means the Lord do so. Man, he's worthy. He is worthy to receive power riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Listen, the angels know that. The question is, do the saints know that? That's a, that's a sacrifice 
that we can give him. We can give him what he's due. Let's bow our heads and pray and we'll dismiss. Father, we love you. God, thank you for your word and 